podcast that helps artists to engage the church and the church to engage artists. My name is Matt Anderson, and I want to thank you for joining us. If you have a chance, please subscribe to the podcast. And then depending on the platform you're listening on, a five-star review is always appreciated. Well, I'm really thrilled to have a guest with me today. I want to tell you a a little something about him. We've known each other for probably about 30 years off and on. And, uh, he has really done it all in ministry. He's been a youth pastor. Uh, he's been a church planter. He has worked for parachurch organizations. He has started parachurch organizations. He has a real entrepreneurial sort of a life, but he's also an artist at heart. And I am so glad that he can be with us today because I think he has some very good specific things to say to the church. Uh, Randy Young, welcome to the Madcast. Hey, Matt. Thank you excited to be with you today. Yeah, it's it's, it's great. Great that you're here. Uh, so what I want to start off with is kind of in your younger life, because would, would you call yourself an artist? I would say when I was younger, I would not have. Okay. Um, I, I pursued all things athletic. I played every sport that you could imagine. I love to doodle and that kind of thing, but it was in junior high in the art classes we used to take and then on through my senior high that I just fell in love with art. And I fell in love with art history too. Uh, mm. So, yeah, I was I was an athlete uh, that emerged uh, with some artistic passions and giftings as well, which is kind of two different worlds. But I absolutely loved it. Yeah, talk about that entering your life and how did how did that kind of manifest for you? Because uh, sometimes it's it's hard to know where that's going to play in your life. And is this going to be a hobby or is this going to be something more? Well, um, I had some. Um, wonderful nurturers of art in my life. Um, I didn't know it, but my mom had a real artistic background. Uh, in mm. high school, she was a concert pianist, played at everybody's recitals for wow. them, uh, all the school music events and all that. Married my dad and never touched a piano again, so I didn't even know that side of her life at all. Goodness. But it was somewhat in the genes, I guess you yeah. could say. Yeah. And so uh, I, I had some nurturers with art teachers in my junior high years that really um, recognized some stuff and cultivated some stuff. And, and I fell in love with, um, with textures and colors and fabrics and design mm-hmm. and fashion and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just became, um, you know, something that I was actually known for in school while I was playing basketball, football, baseball, and golf and all that kind of stuff. Isn't that wild? So, uh, yeah, so uh, a little bit of both there. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it great that it doesn't have to be an either or? Right. Absolutely. Golly, that that, just, you know, we, yeah. there is the tyranny of the order there. There's no about it, doubt about it. Instead yeah. of, I guess, what we could call the blessing of the and uh, in a mm. lot of areas of life. But it actually ended up steering my, my college major. Um, I ended up going on a full ride to Miami of Ohio uh, to study uh, fine art and architecture. Wow. And so I was double majoring in fine art and architecture. And, mm. um, yeah, just um, I, I'm just a designer by nature. So whether mm. that is a you know, artistic designer or interior design stuff that I love or ministry design. Uh, I just love to, I love to um, 
dream and design and then delegate for others to do. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's me by, yeah. that's me by nature. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and again, it's knowing who you are and how you, how you operate at optimal mm. level. Mm. Where, uh, where did your conversion to Christ fall into play? Uh, my conversion to Christ came, uh, probably sixth grade, I would say. Okay. Uh, very traditional, uh, Pentecostal church. Uh, went into a doctrines class. My my parents really didn't attend church. Hmm. Uh, my grandparents were thoroughly involved. Hmm. My my dad would come to Sunday school because he started really enjoying listening to the pastor's wife teach a Sunday school class. But w our family would leave after after Sunday school. You oh know? wow! And then uh, when this um, doctrines class opened up for fifth and sixth graders, uh, my grand I, I, I was interested because you know there's a there's an intellectual side that I love as well, along with the artistic and the, and the athletic. And um, so it just lit a whole nother passion in me mm. for God's word and God's ways and all that. And, mm. and so um, uh, came to faith through that, was baptized, ended up going to church camps and youth groups and all that kind of thing. And really in my middle school years, uh, just felt a real call to ministry. But through my senior high years, that waned a little bit. And then this... Um, scholarship opportunity came and you know uh, i think it's dangerous uh, for followers of jesus to say well the door's open it must be god <laughs> right because not only not every open door is from god and we yeah. need to be a little bit more mature about things than that yeah. but um you know god used that time in my life i did study art and architecture for two years mm. before but i uh, ended up starting a um a bible study in my frat house <laughs> that's and, something you hear every day and, and god started <laughs> to move in some guys lives and some of the little sisters and i just that sense of i didn't know what i was doing i, I had a i had a record player with some early christian albums and uh mm. and a jb phillips new testament we'd li listen to a song read a scripture together and just talk about it and god started doing things in people's lives and it just mm. cultivated that so um the artist side of me um was deeply entrenched through my studies and through my passions but vocationally, then I ended up going into full-time ministry. And that did that begin as a youth pastor? Yes, it did. Okay. Yeah. How many years were you a youth pastor? Well, let's see. About 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good run. Yeah. And uh, uh, one of the interesting things about that is, is that um, our second opportunity in youth ministry um we took our the only two grandkids in the family moved 2500 miles away to san jose california not a real popular decision yeah for all the ohio grandparents but yeah we we moved into a church and i followed a guy in youth ministry his name was steve fry ah. who was an absolute creative and um i had never seen creativity in the arts and church or in youth ministry and suddenly I was leading something where it had been instilled in the entire generation. Mm. And from street ministry teams to fine arts teams to mind groups to um, worship teams that just, you know, for middle school and high school kids, they prized excellence mm. and all that. It just opened a whole new world to me. We, we were writing musicals and Steve would be writing um, a thing called Storyteller that we would, that we would do. You know, we took 70 kids to the Olympic Games and no, I mean to the World Cup in Paris in 1998, wow. and we had we had street ministry teams, highly trained, all over the streets of Paris for three weeks. You know, and and when you're when you're doing mime in front of on the Trocadero in front of the Eiffel Tower, you better be good. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay? uh, Anywhere in France, of, yeah. But that sense of excellence and passion for the arts and skill 
and craftsmanship and all that kind of stuff that I never experienced in church growing up because it's like, we don't do those things. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was definitely outside the scope. It, 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 and it just, it just exploded to me. Uh, so I, I you know, I, I, I probably would say I grew up in a church that canceled a lot of creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, what do you think is behind a lot of that? Now, as you look back over your shoulder, it's hard to diagnose all that, but was, was it just a fear of the unknown? And it, we, we didn't know how to take some of those art forms and, and say, this is just as redemptive as singing. Yeah. I think that's part of it. I think over generally it's a part of it is just a fear of culture. Yeah. Okay. That's what culture is. Yeah. And that's what people who aren't followers of Jesus do. Yeah. And we don't want our, the next generation to be influenced by them. Yeah. So let's build a wall instead of a bridge to culture. And so uh, mm. that's that's the atmosphere, uh, the church life that I that I that I grew up in. So um, okay, um, I we just you know you just didn't do those things. Yeah, I there was a friend of mine. Uh, I haven't seen him for quite a while, but um, we um, we used to do a uh, a summer camp. Uh, it was called Acts Alive, mm. and um, it was basically a discipleship and arts camp. Wow! So it was just solid discipleship and then in the afternoons it was all breakouts you want to you want to explore dance do you want to explore drama do you want to explore music and and just leaders in these fields for a week would just pour mm-hmm. into kids with these passions to cultivate you know future artists yeah. uh, for the kingdom of god and, and, and my friend had a t-shirt that i loved it's a little take on first john and it said everywhere in the world but not of it mm. Mm. yeah yeah and and through the arts and through creativity you know, moving into the spheres of every sphere of culture uh, and permeating culture through the arts uh, as followers of Jesus is something that that we really base that camp on. And so, uh, yeah. yeah. Where do you think we are today? Just in, in general, and it's such a big question because you and I come from a subculture within even this thing called the evangelical church. Sure. Um, but as best as you can assess, obviously we've come very far from from those days in the seventies and eighties. Hmm. Um, where do you, th- are we still where we need to be or are we still far away? I'd say not even close to be honest with you. Okay. Um, I still think we're afraid of form and liturgy mm. and expression. We keep things primarily to words. Uh, and you know, we serve a God of ultimate creativity. Yeah. You know, he says all throughout the old Testament, I want you to celebrate sights, sounds, smells, taste, movement, and uh, I, I remember um, when we were pioneering our church, and uh, my my I had my kids were between the ages of five and twelve, and a uh, little guy uh, was really proud of a of a magic marker, multicolor paper he had drawn. Mm. But he was also uh, my son. This particular son was very very um, interested in in gadgets and technology and all that. He was fascinated with the copy machine, and he <laughs> wanted me to take his picture mm-hmm. that he had was so proud of, mm-hmm. he wanted to make a, a copy of it, okay. all right? And so I put it on the copy machine, I made a copy of it, and I gave it to him. He was severely disappointed because he had given it to me in color and it came out in black and white. Right. And I thought, man, isn't that what we do with the gospel and culture? A lot? Mm. God gives us to gives it to us in all this living color and life and mm. breath, and we, we kind of reduce it to black and white. And that particular son is a filmmaker today, and he... 
works for a leading missions organization, and he mm. produces all their documentaries and tra- travels on film shoots all over the world. And he serves God with his eyes, which oh, I which I absolutely yeah. love. And yeah. so, yeah. Uh, so even within my own family, quite a few artists have emerged. Yeah, and so we still there's still a long way to go. And so it it can be. I know sometimes, I don't know if you feel like the happy warrior sometimes uh, when it comes to issues like that, because so many, so many church leaders still don't know what to do with the arts Mm -hmm. and they're, and it's so easily made fun of. And uh, uh, as as you know, I'm on the board of a modern dance company Yes, yes. and that's, you know, that's always very easy fodder for for people to make fun of because it can be. It, it's just it's an easy low hanging fruit sometimes for, yeah. for folks, especially when it's not done well. You know, and, and part of it for me too, Matt, is is that you know, as someone who was trained as an artist and I was drawing and painting and all that kind of stuff, you are trained to seek out the ideal in everything. Hmm. And there's a real there's a real perfectionist side to me that can be releasing, but also can be debilitating. Right. Yes. <laughs> a lot of that is a double-edged sword. A lot of perfectionists are procrastinators because they wait for the perfect moment to do something perfect and that yes. never gets done. Yes. But I, I do think uh, part of the challenge in the church today is that we, if we do embrace art at all, we we accept a lot of sloppy stuff in the name of God. Oof, yeah. And that drives me absolutely crazy <laughs> yeah because we serve a god not just a creativity but a god of excellence yeah and you know I, I heard somebody say one time and thought about this but they said excellence will not bring his presence hmm. but his presence will bring excellence oh wow that's good isn't that good yeah yeah and i just that's part of as we planted church and all that kind of stuff uh it, it you know it's something that we you know we ended up raising up a generation of teens through our church and we got kids serving all over Hollywood. They're in Nashville. They're writing songs mm. for top artists in Atlanta. Mm. You know, and and uh, they just came right out of a, a youth group in a church that that embraced creativity and uh, made some mistakes along the way. We fell forward and learned from it and kept moving forward. Well, let's so, talk about that because you, at, at some point, you received the calling from the Lord to plant a church. Yeah, which is, um, and at at the time. It wasn't quite as in vogue as it is today. No, early '90s, not at all. Um, and uh, uh, but you, you know, you had the blessing of denominational leaders. Yes. But you were going to go a very different direction. How how much did artistry and the inclusion of artists play into the setting up of New Song? I think it was more foundational than that. To be honest with you, the artist side, I would say we kind of fell into that. Okay. I didn't start out designing a church where I said, man, I want this place to be a haven for artists. Okay. Okay. I think it was the overflow, some of who I am and how God wired me. And just in conversations with artists, they felt comfortable and, uh, and, and the church became a, became a home for them. Can we explore that a little bit? Yeah. Because, you know, I think I talk to a lot of pastors and I, there's, they're frustrated by the arts because they, they feel like artists don't feel comfortable in their church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they personally don't, speak the language. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to turn it into something that's way too tangible because there, there is like an ethereal quality to it, but what is the language of an artist? What, what do you think it was about your teaching, your manner, the way you structured a service that, cause it's not, it's not easy to get an artist to say, Hey, I'm going to attend that church. Cause you're already two strikes down Yeah, because of experiences that artists have had in the past. Yeah. It's kind of an overworked word, but I do think in those pioneering years, 
uh, it's safe to say before the word was vogue, we were very intentional. Mm, okay. There was an intentionality about building relationship mm. with artists. Uh, so it, we were intentional, first of all, by pastoring them and actually shepherding them mm. and accepting them right where they were. Uh, some artists are solid disciples. Some of them lead very messy lives. They're caught in this. They're caught between two worlds, and how to navigate that world is a real challenge to them. Mm. But I, I think they felt safe there because I advocated for them all the time, mm. and they knew that I believed in them. And we also found a way to showcase their giftings and calling within the body of Christ, uh, within events, within Sunday morning services, and all that. So I, you know, I, I would have quite a few very black and white. You know, where's God in this? People sitting in the church, but I didn't care. Mm. Now, okay. Okay. So and that's part of the foundational stuff that okay. I was talking about. If I if I could just back up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our church before it was a safe place for I would say artists and athletes alike. I mean, we huh. had athletes like crazy too, and that's a that's an interesting world to navigate. Right. Well, and there's you on Sunday. Here's morning. you, but that's me. That's yeah. you. We've just discovered that's you. But they felt comfortable <laughs> with me at all. Also, so yeah. you know, but but foundationally beyond reaching athletes or artists or whatever the case may be, we build our church very strongly in what I would call the freedom of the believer. Hmm. God has wired you to be who you are. You need to be free to do what God has called you to do. Hmm. And whether, you know, the freedom of the believer, whether that's um, uh, various lifestyle choices that are gray Hmm. in Scripture, Hmm. uh, whether that is doctrine that's somewhat gray in Scripture, whether that is... um, callings and experiences and, and um, career tracks or whatever. Um, I, I, you know, I came right out and said over and over again, if it's not black and white in the Word of God, I don't care how passionate you are about it, we are not going to make it black and white here. Okay. All yeah. right? So there was a sense of the freedom of the believer. I think Antioch became a real model for us in mm-hmm. terms of a New Testament church, loud, raucous, a melting pot of cultures, because not only did we have artists and athletes, we had over 35 nationalities. We were a real melting pot congregation. Mm-hmm. We were 30% African-American. Uh, we had people from over 40 different denominational backgrounds. And if I got, the, the narrower we got, the more exclusive we would become. Sure. And we were planted in the most liberal suburb, I believe, in Cleveland, in the artistic hub of the city, right. in Cleveland Heights. Right. And so and this this artistic uh, educational hub, uh, the freedom of the believer became very, very, very important to us. So this sense of, so and, and, and um, um, having a mix of, so the church really became what I call a divine experiment. I had pastors all over the city, Hispanic, black, white, who looked at us and, and, and thought in the second most racially divided city in America at that time, mm-hmm. if it can work in a church, maybe it can work among churches in a whole city. Mm. And uh, we developed a saying, and it fit right in with artists or whoever, that um, you know, for an experiment like this church to work, we said, if purpose doesn't unite us, then preference will divide us. Mm. And so that sense of big tent, not watering down anything, but being big right. tent uh, with people's passions and all, and doctrinal bents and all that kind of stuff, uh, and embracing everyone, we created an atmosphere where artists felt welcome as well. Yeah, that went beyond just do we like artists or don't like artists, mm-hmm. but went to the core of the freedom of the believer. How God has wired every person to honor that, to respect that, to help them release their talents in God glorifying ways. That was at the heart of what was at the church, I think, mm. that created a safe place for artists. 
do you do you think because uh, you mentioned that you know artists often live very it can be sloppy lives you and i have been around long enough to know that J joe Pewsitter, who really looks the part can be living just as sloppy of a Absolutely. life did you find that having art because the artist the only difference is the artist won't hide it they're, <laughs> 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 they're just like here's what i'm dealing with yeah, and yeah, and that's true you know which can put off joe Pewsitter. um did you feel like you had to kind of hold like not that you had two congregations because that mm -hmm. wouldn't have worked how do you how do you like take everybody on the bus mm -hmm. you know when um how do you how do you get people to that place of not just recoiling even if it's fake recoiling <laughs> mm -hmm. at what some what what others are dealing with in their life again i think it goes back to advocating and then it goes to coaching um mm -hmm. uh to helping people understand yeah that's a that's a modern dance piece on our stage on Sunday morning. Yeah. And you may not get all the nuances. And forgive us if there's not a cross in every artistic piece <laughs> to justify its existence right. on Sunday morning. We don't know where right? to look, Randy. <laughs> these are where are the white that, shirts? These are people that are creative. They're wired by God. They're mm. doing things that honor God. And and you may not get it all any more than you might not get a John Pollock painting. You know, right, or right. And an abstract cocooning or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but helping non-artists understand, mm. um, and helping artists not get hung up over not being understood. Uh, that took a lot of coaching along the way. How much of that is from the pulpit, and how much both. of that is private? Okay, both. It's both. Okay. Okay. And I, I think by recognizing, giving them space to minister. Uh, teaching you know uh we would get into we would get into the book of exodus where you know moses is given instructions to build the tabernacle and all the furnishings by god and how mm. precise god was with everything yeah and how colorful god was and how it was only the most skilled craftsmen mm. that were enlisted to do that kind of stuff and how how craftsmanship is a spiritual gift <laughs> and mm. artistry is a spiritual gift and all that I and like that. and uh, to recognize that and honor that uh, really, really became a part of that, so that we would not be a another church that just canceled creativity. Yeah. Um, some of the artists that you know and still work with, yes, became small group leaders in my church. Nice. So they took on positions of leadership with non-artists, just not with artists. Good. Okay. That's good. Uh, that was a that was a helpful thing. We um, we. We did stuff on Sunday mornings, but also I, I'm thinking of one Christmas we we wrote a, that year a production called Jacob's Road, which was a, a production we put on at Christmas time okay. that used all the artists of the church. But we also had a young guy in our church in his early 30s that was the head of the Shaker Heights Symphony Orchestra, nice. and then Bill Wade at that time was still teaching at the Cleveland School of the Arts, yeah. and he had the yard his. Uh, contemporary urban right. dance troupe, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Right. So that production we put on that year was a, a written uh, and included the Shaker Heights Symphony, all the artists of New Song, and uh, the, the entire, Bill's entire urban dance troupe was mm. the cast of that production. Oh, wow. And it was just a blast. It was wow. an absolute blast. Mm. And it introduced, you know, non-believing artists to a church that embraced them. Uh, it gave space for 
creative Christians to be engaged in a project uh, that they loved. And uh, it was a lot of work, but mm. um, the byproduct was pretty sweet, I think. Now, let's, uh, uh, let me delve into something specific as far as um, <clears throat> you were saying how you would intentionally tie in artists to events or Sunday morning services. Mm -hmm. uh, can you give me an, a, an example of that? Because I know, well, first of all, most churches are so small that it's always going to fall on the senior pastor. Mm. And they're sitting there going, oh, my word, i got to come up with one more thing. And I think now i got to figure out how to tie in an artist to, you know. And so the best they can come up with is, here, can you, like, paint the banner for our Easter cantata, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and which really under-challenges uh, an artist. Um, can you walk me through that? Just one example of how you would sort of implement that and – because I know a lot of pastors just feel like they just can't do it. They don't speak the language. They can't even come up with where to go. Well, I, I, I'm a designer and perfectionist by nature. Mm. And that would carry over to Sunday morning as well. Sure, sure. And so maybe we were in a series on Sunday mornings or maybe it was Easter time, whatever the case may be. When I was preparing messages, I wasn't just thinking about what I was going to say. But how could that be introduced or supported Mm. by artists in the congregation. Mm. So at least once a month, we had a drama team that elicited, it, we didn't write a lot of our own material, but there was some great stuff mm. at that time that was written as three to five minute drama pieces that didn't try to solve a complex problem in five in minutes. In five minutes, yeah. Okay. Our version and of the sitcom. Exactly. And that's, <laughs> that's another, it's like, you know, people said to people like, you know, what was that about? They, they didn't mm -hmm. even come to Christ at the end of it or something like that. You know, right. That kind of thing. Yeah. All, all those all those drama pieces, it was introduced a topic that I was going to preach on. Right. And you're going to bring the resolution. And I bring the resolution through, through the, the preaching. God, through the right. preaching. And so it became a teamwork with artists. I like that. And not just a, a sense of saying, well, let's have an artist do something and then I'm going to preach the message. No, yeah. we tried to be seamless thematically. I like that. On on Sunday mornings and incorporating, again, the God-given talents that bring the sights and sounds yeah. <laughs> and energy and movement beyond just the spoken word. And this is a very like functional question to ask. How far in advance would you have to let them know, like before you actually did the message? How, like how much preparation time would they have to well, do Well, they that? were very gracious with me. Okay. Because <laughs> I know most pastors can't be four weeks ahead. And, you know? and I, I tried to, and that helped me not only with them, but with myself in terms of sermon preparation and all that. Because when you know where you're headed in a month, your antenna's up for illustrations and, you know, all That's that kind true. of stuff. That's true. Absolutely uh, true. But uh, so I would be ahead. But there were times when I would say, man, I just discovered this. This is where I'm going the message. I know I got a week, but can you throw this together? Mm. And they were very gracious with me. Yeah. Mm. So would, would you recommend, so let's say a pastor out there, they love preaching, they love pastoring, but they don't necessarily have the creative bent and they know that. Um would you recommend some that they would try to put together like a creative team that uh, of people because every church has this um, and they may not be on a professional level but at least to to try to do what you were doing mm -hmm. and uh, and and you know do it a few weeks out and I don't is that even a possible thing? Um, it wasn't written at our church, but I would say that creativity was a core value of our church yeah so it wasn't just an add-on um, creativity at the children's levels creativity at youth levels mm -hmm. we, we had our kids 
doing stuff on Sunday mornings. You know, mm-hmm. one Sunday morning a month, our youth worship team led the adult worship service nice. every month. And and they were developing their gifts and talents. And, you know, at, at year five and in our denomination, we have a national fine arts. Our, our, our youth band won nationals, you know. Nice. And, and, but we were creating young, we were cultivating young artists mm-hmm. at, at every age level. And I, I would say to pastors, first of all, you need to say, God, let let creativity become a value for me. I like that. Okay, it starts with the it starts with the leadership. Yes, and help me to see even if I'm not a creative artist. Help me to see how you've wired. See, I've got a I've got a thing that I'm becoming more passionate about. Um, I think pastors need to rethink their roles. Okay, I think pastors need to see themselves as more than just shepherds. Mm. Uh, pastors are stewards of every calling in their congregation Mm. and stewards are responsible to cultivate and develop yeah and you may not be an artist but you're called to cultivate artistic giftings Mm. in the kids in your church and that goes beyond far beyond just a once a year fine arts opportunity i'm going to put a bookmark here in our interview with randy young lots more to be shared uh which you'll hear on next week's episode and hope you will tune in and be a part of that. I want to thank you for being a part of the MattCast. Please share this with a friend. We would love to expand our MattCast family. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.